It seems a little facile to be talking about the problems facing bike racing when so many lives are being turned upside down. But sports are important, not least for the benefits they bring to the economy and to people's mental and physical well-being. And cycling, along with other sports, is struggling. On this edition, Lizzie Banks tells us about the fight to keep the Big Le Katusha team alive. Luke Rowe talks about the dangers of overtraining in lockdown. And World Bicycle Relief explain how you can help the fight against COVID-19 in the developing world. This is the Ruler podcast, supported by LACA, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Okay, well, on our last podcast, we spoke to Garant Thomas on the first day of his fundraising Zwift challenge for the NHS. Well, I'm pleased to say on this edition, we have his INEOS teammate, fellow Welshman, and of course, partner on the What's Occurring podcast, Luke Rowe. How are things, Luke? All good. Thank you very much. How is uh, lockdown going for you? Are you managing to get out much? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, it's a strange time for everyone, right? Everyone's a bit in limbo and uh, us you know, professional cyclists are no different. I think we're all trying to obey the rules, do the right thing, you know, and lucky enough that I'm I'm back in Cardiff, Wales, so I can still ride my bike. You know, I'm not trying to be a be a hero, keeping things real, uh, ticking over quite nicely. And um, yeah, so on a bike side of things, everything's going pretty well. I hope no one takes this the wrong way, but from a, one way, I'm quite enjoying it in the sense that, um, you know, we spend up to 200 days away on the road, living out of a suitcase. And I'm here with my wife and son, and I'm just absolutely loving time spent spent with them. So, um, yeah, every cloud has a silver lining, right? It must be a bit hard for you at the moment, though, because you do love racing at this time of year, don't you? Yeah, I mean, the classics, uh, you know, they would have just come to an end last weekend. So it's always, you know, they're races that I've I've enjoyed over the years. They're a special time of the year for any rider who who, who enjoys that style of racing. Um, you know, they only come around once a year and once they're gone, they're gone. So hopefully, um, you know, when they reschedule and racing kicks back off again, hopefully they'll be uh, on their priority list and hopefully they'll go ahead and, and fit the schedule and I'll be able to give them a crack. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's the same for everyone in it. There's races going by that people see as opportunities and races they'd love to be at. But um, I think we just have to look at the look at the bigger picture and, you know, accept we're going to, take a bit of a back step for a, for a short time have the team sort of given you specific training for this period because it must be a bit weird because you don't know really what you're training for do you yeah i mean for me I, it was a case of you know i spoke to my coach right away uh, lee Bryan. His, his nickname is rock i spoke to him straight away and i said listen mate let's i don't want to try and be a hero i'm not gonna you know go out and do 30 hours on the bike but what i what i do want to do i want to have a you know, have, have something that's realistic that I can do week in, week out, and I know I can consistently do. Not try and be a hero and crack after a few weeks and um, sling the bike in the garage. So I, I've kind of, uh, you know, set myself a goal of 18, 20 hours a week. No real intensity, I guess I'm doing a little bit, but uh, no real structure. It's kind of just, you know, get that done across the course of a week without, you know, specific, okay, this day four hours, this day three hours, this day five hours. It's just kind of... Um, going a bit off uh off piste on it and just kind of uh yeah doing it if and when i feel and when i when the weather's good and when i haven't got family commitments so you know it's still a decent week 20 hours and i feel that's something that i can i can do week in week out you know and stay mentally and physically fresh because you know i think that's a big thing and uh something that you know some riders are overlooking that you know you can train like a, a hero now but we're going to be racing 
potentially in, into November. That's something new and that's something that's never been done before. And, you know, we still, you know, yes, we've got a break as such now, but, you know, I still built up and raced in down under in January. So it's, um, you know, a big... Uh, and a lot of guys, I think, are starting to struggle a bit mentally, um, where I feel I'm in a really good place. And it's, uh, yeah, something that I think, you know, that type of hours per week is something that I can keep up for however long needs needs to be done, really. And you did the um, Team Ineos Zwift race um, the other day, didn't you, the other week, Kim? What was that like? Oh, I got absolutely battered. Yeah, I mean, it was, there was certainly a lot of people logged in uh, to watch. And then prior to the race itself, we did a, a ride with anyone who wanted to join. I think they took like a Zwift record for most participants in a ride. So, you know, that's pretty sweet. And it was good just to kind of speak to people and it's, you know, genuinely didn't feel like a chore. It was quite nice just to, you know, be there speaking to people and, and what have you. But for the race itself, I mean, it was absolutely horrific. I think, uh, I mean, Tim Kerrison said to me, he's, um, you're one of the big dogs and best coaches in the world. He said, "If you know, if we picked a tour team on numbers, you'd be you'd be one of the last pick, Luke." And uh, you know, on Swift racing, there's there's no hiding. Yeah, I just I just don't put out big numbers. I don't know, you know, how exactly that relates to bike racing. I've seen to duck and dive and do right in the races, but in terms of uh, you know pure grunt and sitting on a turbo and smashing out big numbers, it's not my forte. So uh, it was Ryan Dennis that won it, was it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the mass, you know, polar opposite to me. He's a pure um you know he's, he's a smart bike rider but he's just a pure he's just a weapon and he, he he is world champion for two years in, in a row and he is you know a big number cruncher guy and he can sit there at you know whatever and just and just pound it out and he 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 knocked the shit out of everyone so um he made us all look a bit silly but uh yeah i think i was like 15, 14 15 minutes down so um not my proudest hour but I was a laugh, nonetheless. Yeah, it actually wasn't until I heard him on um, the podcast with you and Geraint that I realised quite what a sort of number fanatic he was. Yeah, he's he's certainly got a bit of a screw loose, but he's a super guy. And I think he gets a lot of flack for, you know, sometimes expressing himself too much or just trying to be himself. But, you know, I've I've known him and raced with him for, for a long time, since under 23 days, really. And I've always gotten really well with him. And as soon as he joined the team, you know, we just kind of um, got on really well right from the get-go. So um, he's certainly a, an interesting character. He's not the run-of-the-mill guy, but um, yeah, he's like I said, he's certainly got a different to your normal guy, but he, he's he's brilliant. He's brilliant. As actually, I spoke to, um, so we did that pod with Rohan in Mallorca in December, and I bumped into Fabian Cancellara in January in Down Under. And uh he was like, oh, I listened to the pod. And I said, yeah, it's mad with that numbers thing, eh? He said, you know, I was exactly the same. And Fabian was the same, but with number seven. And I thought, there must be something in this, you know, with these uh, world champions. Time trialists. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all a bit nuts, aren't they? So, um, yeah, Rowan's not the only one. Uh, and we were in the elevator and he said, oh, I forget what it was. It was something like, you know, I've made number seven because I'm going to floor three. You're going to floor two. And there's two of us in the lift. You know, things like that. They just, um, you know, it was three and two and two. So, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe maybe I need to get a numbers thing and then I can start knocking out big numbers. But for now, I'll just uh, 
continue getting my head kicked in Zwift, I think. At the moment, the latest is that there may be a Tour de France in September and then they may try and fit in the other Grand Tours and maybe even some of the classics before, uh, well, I guess, before Christmas. But um, what realistically, what do you think? <sighs> I mean, I've seen some... Uh, to, to the to the teams and riders, they've released some very some dates for races that you know they hope to. I mean, they got to put some kind of plan together. Best case scenario, this is what's going to happen, and that's what they've done. And obviously, like that, that there's a couple of races before the Tour de France, but the tour's due to start uh, back end of August, in there. And I think, I hope, hope, hope we can get back to racing as soon as possible. I think it's very optimistic. But for me to comment on it, it is tough. You know, every day the situation is changing. You know, I try not to watch the news too much because it, it's quite repetitive and I just try to like, you know, switch on every day and get, you know, get the vital piece of information and, and keep my head down. But I think, um, you know, we just have to listen to the professionals. Once they say it's safe to resume to normality, we'll do so. And hopefully we can turn back to racing as soon as possible. But for the time being, I think we just got to keep doing, as we're told, listen to the big dogs, listen to the professionals, keep our heads down and um, and follow the guidelines, really. But just fingers crossed, it's, it, it, you know, we can get back to normality. And I think, you know, a lot of people are getting itchy feet. They want to get back to racing. But what a lot of people don't really consider is, you know, the economical side of things. And, um, you know, teams need racing to survive. They need that publicity. Riders are out, who are out of contract. Imagine you're a rider who's out of contract this year um, last year was injured or last year didn't have a great year and they're saying right this is my year now I can prove myself and I need some races to prove myself to have a job for next year and um, you know there's a lot of different scenarios out there and a lot of people um, a lot of teams have had pay cuts and I think from you know from financial side of things the sport needs to continue but uh, yeah at the same time bigger picture there's people uh, getting sick out there there's people dying yeah, that has to remain priority for now. Luke Rowe, thank you very much for joining us. Do uh, stay safe and do, and uh, we hope to see you on a bike sometime this year. Yep, fingers crossed. Thanks a lot for having me. Take care. Luke Rowe. The economic impact of COVID-19 on pro cycling looks likely to be significant. Last week, the successful and long-running Bigler Katusha women's team announced that both their title sponsors were withdrawing their funding for this season. And it'll be no surprise if there are similar announcements soon in both the men's and women's pelotons. The riders of Bigler Katusha published an open letter asking the sponsors to honour their commitments. Among those riders, Lizzie Banks. So late last week, uh, we heard from the team that both of our title sponsors had withdrawn 100% of the funding for the team. And so that was a bit difficult. It was a bit of a surprise. Um, We obviously understand that there is a global crisis and we understand that cycling is just, you know, a small part of this global crisis. And uh, but, you know, I think there is a way forward that we can work together with our sponsors and we can negotiate with them um, if they're having financial difficulties that, that we can find a way forward. So we were a bit surprised to just to just hear that they were withdrawing all the funding. But actually, the team has been really amazing and they have um, vowed to try and protect our salaries wherever possible. There's enough money to pay the April salaries still. They are releasing the bank guarantee from the UCI to to help going forward and also to ensure that the team has enough money that should racing restart to be able to fund the travel to the races and hotels etc. 
since then, um, the latest news really is that the team has released a programme whereby the, the fans and supporters can support the team by buying products uh, from the team's partners and then the money from that will come directly back to the team. The team is also looking into crowdfunding. So if you follow the team um, on social media platforms, then you'll be able to see how that works. But I think really long term, the team is still looking for a financial partner for 2021 and beyond to secure the long-term longevity of the team. So, you know, if that's something that people are interested in, then get in touch with the team because yes, it's a difficult time now, but there may be businesses who've been wanting to get into cycling for a while and actually this could be their opportunity. What's the morale like amongst the riders? I think it's almost like we're racing really. We're, we're kind of all in this together. It's a really challenging situation but it's challenging for everyone and we're supporting each other and we know that we can have a positive impact on this through our social media channels um, and through the way we act, which is why we decided to write an open letter to all of our partners. We want to support our partners and we want our partners to support us and we believe that there is a way forward, however challenging it may be. And Big Look Atusha are a successful team. They've been going for a long while um, and you've you've had good results. It's kind of an indication of how fragile the whole pro-cycling economy is, isn't it? When a, a really big established team has difficulties with its sponsors. Absolutely. I mean, this year the team has had four wins in you know very few race days we stopped racing on the 1st of March and I think every single race we've done we've been in the top 10 and we've had a number more podiums so yeah it's a very successful team it's created a lot of world-class athletes so it's it is challenging the sponsorship infrastructure is very fragile and especially right now. But then that being said, you can run a women's cycling team on a very small budget. If you take the salary of one male, top male pro cyclist, you can more than run a women's cycling team, a top tier women's cycling team. So the value for money in women's cycling is huge. And I think that's what we need to tell people because if people realise how little you can run a women's cycling team on, perhaps they'll be wanting to get involved even more. Are you optimistic about maybe not the rest of this season, but uh, the next couple of years? Yeah, I'm I'm convinced that, that cycling will bounce back from this. I don't think it's going to be easy, but cycling made it through the the previous financial crisis and it will make it through this global health crisis. It may not look exactly the same, but there will still be races. There are still going to be incredible athletes out there and there's still going to be a hell of a lot of people who are passionate about the sport and want to make it work. So who knows what will happen this season and potentially who knows what next season will look like, but there will be a future for this sport. I'm just not quite sure how it will change in the immediate and long-term future. If someone's listening to this who's a, a fan of women's racing in particular, what would uh, what would your advice to them be? What What's the best thing they can do? If you're listening and you're a fan of women's cycling, then just keep supporting the team. Support them on their social media channels. Send messages, comment on their posts. You know, show the the cycling teams and the riders and, and the partners of those teams that there is support out there for these for these teams and these athletes and that makes such a big difference it's really hard because we don't see 
we don't have that connection with the fans at the races right now but we can have that online and it is a bit different but it does mean the world to us to to hear that the fans are out there supporting us we've had such amazing messages since the press release went out about our team and it's a real boost and it really makes us believe that this is a project that can keep going and that should keep going and that will be successful in the future once the racing resumes Lizzie thanks for uh, joining us and uh, good luck to you and the rest of the team thanks and this is the Ruler podcast supported by Lacquer bicycle insurance powered by the community so I'm Toby Talpitz the CEO and co-founder of Lacquer We've been going for over two years by now, and we can confidently say that we are 25% cheaper than our competitors. So you save money with Laka while getting a unique and much better experience. One thing we're really, really proud of is that we're doing all claims in-house. So when you file a claim with us, it doesn't go to a third-party administrator in the middle of nowhere. It sits with us, with our claims handlers, who are no insurance people, but are actual um, bike mechanics. Fairly unique, we believe, and that really gives us a unique take on the customer experience. Well, the current crisis has shown again how important bikes can be in transporting essential workers and helping people to do their jobs, especially in cities, as shown by uh, Brompton's Wheels for Heroes project, which provided bikes for NHS workers in in London and the UK. At Ruler, we've been uh, supporting World Bicycle Relief for a while now. And as COVID-19 really starts to have an impact in the developing world, it's needed more than ever. So I'm joined uh, from from Ohio uh, by Dave Nieswander, global CEO of World Bike Relief, and from uh, Lusaka in Zambia uh, by Brian Munger, who's uh, country director there. Um, Dave, first of all, uh, for people who don't know, can you explain to us um, what's the uh, w- what's the purpose of World Bicycle Relief? Sure. World Bicycle Relief is 15 years old this year, and we're a global organization that helps individuals and communities overcome the challenge of distance. Specifically, especially in this pandemic, the challenge to access quality healthcare or get information about healthcare, as well as education, as well as livelihoods. And so we've developed uh, through product development a, a very strong, robust Buffalo bicycle. Uh, we deliver that to community members uh, and to development organizations that need a strong, reliable mode of transportation to access healthcare, education, economic opportunities. We've also trained over 1,400 bicycle field mechanics and set up a supply chain of spare parts. And we've done this in about 20 countries around the world. And and where Brian is operating in Zambia, uh, we've done about 150,000 bicycles to date. Uh, Brian, thank you for joining us from Zambia. What is the position uh, like there at the moment with regards to the impact so far of COVID-19? Fortunately, the spread hasn't been that rampant. Numbers have been rising um, uh, continuously, and we have seen a, a, a rise in the number of um, uh, people that have been uh, discharged from um, uh, the observation centers. As of today, we have had 88 confirmed cases, three deaths, uh, 42 people have recovered so far, and we are hoping that um, this good picture continues Uh, to exist as we go forward. The country is in a panic mode. Everybody is wearing masks and we really do not have um, enough medical facilities 
to counter a pandemic of this magnitude. The fear must be that if the pattern of the of the uh, disease follows uh, the same example as in other countries, then uh, the facilities in Zambia and uh, other countries in Africa may be overwhelmed relatively quickly. True, that's the correct picture because we are looking at um, serious economies like the UK, the US, struggling uh, with the pandemic, struggling with uh, medical supplies, and yet these are the countries that provide the donor funding to ourselves as a country. So we are really scared that should this uh, hit us as much as it has hit the UK and the US, we definitely will not manage to contain the pandemic. Now, what role um, would uh, bicycles play in combating uh, this disease in, in, in terms of allowing health workers to do their jobs? Let's start with talking about community health volunteers. Uh, in a number of um, pockets who have already started going around and uh, spreading information about how to avoid getting infected. So um, because in certain places, public transportation systems are being strictly monitored in terms of the number of people that can get on, and people are just not uh, willing to get on public transportation unless it's an emergency. And then uh, we have a statutory instrument that has told us not to gather in uh, large numbers and therefore to disseminate information now. The healthcare providers are going around with megaphones on a bicycle, talking to people and telling them how they can avoid the pandemic. What makes it worse is that they cannot call a meeting. And so they cannot just speak in, on a megaphone while riding slowly, hoping that people are listening. That is over and above holding, um, uh, running the, the public campaign through radio and television. But as it were, there's an issue of limitation to access. In, in terms of, of sort of numbers of funding and, I guess, bicycles as well, um, what sort of um, uh, figures do you think we'd be talking about in terms of uh, assisting you to, to really combat uh, this pandemic? Well, I think, you know, initially we've started off with a, uh, World Bicycle Leaf has started off with a campaign for 2,500 bicycles. And this is really just, we think, is the tip of the iceberg. Brian is working in Zambia closely with the Ministry of Health for initial 500 bicycles. We're working with the Red Cross in Kenya. We're working with UNICEF in Zimbabwe um, and other leaders in development as it relates to the initial response to the pandemic. Uh, we think, you know, right now, as we sit this morning, there's about 32,000 cases that have been reported, about 1,400 deaths in all of Africa. Now, as Brian talked about the fragility of the healthcare system, there is a question as far as the resources there to even do the testing and to have accurate figures as far as um, knowing who's infected and then, then the tracing of that. And so right now it's early days. We're hopeful, but certainly... What we're seeing from these development officials is that uh, the need is going to be in the uh, the hundreds of thousands. And so this is just an initial step for us to do a program. So we have a campaign right now for 2,500 bicycles going to help with the pandemic response. And if people do want to help, what should they do? Go to our website um, in the UK. It's uh, World Bicycle Relief UK in the US, www.worldbicyclerelief.org, um, and make a donation of and. Uh, 47 U.S. dollars is the equivalent um, in in the U in the U.S. as it relates to donating a bicycle into 
the hands of a healthcare worker. Okay, Dave and Brian, thanks very much indeed for uh, joining us and uh, good luck with your campaign. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Although bike sales in the UK are up as people turn to them for essential transport and exercise, as we heard there from Lizzie Banks, COVID-19 is having a significant negative effect on the sport and the businesses which surround it. Including Rouleur, with a significant reduction in advertising and shop sales, we're increasingly reliant on subscriptions to stay afloat. If you don't already subscribe, please do consider doing so. It's only £7 a month. If you do subscribe already, thank you. But how about visiting the Ruler Emporium, cycling's best brands, all under one roof? You know there's something there that you're going to like, and to help you choose, I am joined by Miles Baker-Clark from Ruler, who's responsible for stocking the Emporium, and Stuart Clapp, Ruler's desire editor. Miles, um, what's selling well at the moment? I mean, a mix of things are doing well for us at the minute, and if you haven't checked it out, I'd advise you to go over and have a little peruse, but it's really things that people can use at home, so... I tell you what, we can't get enough coffee, espresso cups and mugs, books, copies of Rouleur, obviously, um, cycling kit, because people are still riding, Stuart Clapham looking at you, and an other kind of accoutrement that you find in your house and you kind of look at and you think, I'm not really sure why I bought that, but I love it. So for example, Rob Hales, good friend of Rouleur, he makes these amazing little carbon contraptions for us. So we've got these beautiful little carbon key rings, which he makes by hand um, and sends down to us piecemeal collection and they sell out almost instantly. Really nice, really. And then we also stock a full range of Campagnolo products, for example, who make a, a frankly gargantuan corkscrew for opening that lovely bottle of uh, Barolo at the end of an evening. I've got one here and I remember when I brought it home, and uh, my significant other just went, was it necessary for that to be that large? Was she talking about the corkscrew? No comment. <laughs> lowering the tone, Stuart, lowering the tone. <laughs> right, so I'll, I'll uh, just mute me for ages. What's great, actually, about Zoom is there's a little button next to your name which says mute on it, which is really useful. That is handy. But no, I mean, people are spending a lot of time in their four, their four walls at the moment, so... I'm personally reading Michael Bland's new book, um, or should I say second edition of Mountains, which is um, full of nice essays and great photographs of mountains. So I highly recommend that, for example. Yeah, we're talking to Michael Bland on the next podcast, I think, about uh, the book, which does look lovely. I've seen some some of the pictures from it. And also, uh, can I personally recommend uh, Rob Hales, because he's just made me uh, a wedding ring um, to uh, Mark... Uh, our 25th wedding anniversary and it's absolutely lovely titanium and carbon fiber and it's really really nice he's a craftsman funny you should say that ian um pre-coronavirus i was meant to be getting married in a few months time and rob has also made me a titanium and carbon wedding ring <laughs> they're the only way to go it's a really lovely piece of work so Stuart, what have you been up to i've been riding my bike but aside from that things um kind of Corona postponed or on hold at the moment. 20.3 is out. Ruler 20.3 is out. And the desire section in that is absolutely lovely, isn't it? Yes. I'm really, really happy with that. In fact, Benedict messaged me the other day. He's the photographer, Benedict Campbell. And he's um, he messaged me the other day saying, I actually think it's the best one we've done or up there with them. It's kind of like um, 
everyone knows what someone looks like on a bike and what they look like in cycling kit. It's just nice to take cycling kit out of where it would normally be. And um, yeah, that was, you know, it's a good shoot. And it's, and it, it's got some really, really cool kit in it. And the bikes were, were amazing. In fact, the Personi was just ridiculous. Um, I think like totaling it up, it was probably one of the most expensive bikes we've ever had in. It was, uh, but yeah, it's cool. It's good. It's really good fun to do. And it's nice when you get it back and you see it and it looks fun still, you know, it's like, you still like to us, it still makes me laugh when I look at it and think, ah, cause I know the story behind it. So what are you going to do for a uh, 20.4, the next edition? Because you can't really have, um, a photo shoot in the current uh, climate, can you? No, we can't. Not unless every member, every person in the shoot, the models, all live under the same roof. And, uh, which is what we've done. So well, what, what we've done, sorry, or what we've done, I basically told Ian Cleverly, our executive editor, he loves it when I use his full title, to send up the stuff that I already had in for the um, Ruler Desire special, which is kind of on hold for obvious reasons. Um, I had a load of stuff in the office from that. So I sort of went through it, picked it. Ian sent it up before leaving the office. I don't think anyone's ever been back there since. And uh, I think London looks a bit like a ghost town. Anyway, so he sent that stuff direct to Benedict, who's got a lovely house and a really, really lovely garden. His garden is amazing, isn't it? I've seen it on Instagram and he's into uh, topiary, I believe it's called, isn't it? Cutting hedges into funny shapes. That's absolutely what he's into. And last week, because obviously we all have a little bit more time on our hands, he um, he was making tools and set squares for his uh, his bushes. He's got a lovely, lovely, neat bush, Benedict has. So he shot that with his uh, daughter, Lucy, and uh, and Zach, his son, I think. And they, they modelled in it and they, they both ride bikes and they're both very fit and they look really good. So it's just made us redundant uh but yeah it looks really good and i have literally just received the pictures from benedict now but i might give benedict the some kit and the bikes and stuff but a lot of like visually it comes down to him he's the guy that's taking the pictures so there was never any doubt that he was going to make a really great job of it and there he is so i'm not surprised so uh just finally then if there was one bit of kit or one uh special something on the ruler emporium that you would want to buy miles and obviously miles you can probably have it anyway but miles and Stuart, what would you have miles you first all right i think the bit that i always hanker after and i always go back to Silka, who are an American company who make these absolutely incredible tools and pumps and kits and that kind of thing, have got this really lovely wooden set of Allen keys. I don't, I don't mean the Allen keys are wooden, I just mean it comes in a nice wooden box, polished, decorative, you know, completely over the top. But um, you combine their kind of excellent tools, which are just you know, some of the best in the business in this really nice box. And it's one of those things that you unwrap at Christmas or on a birthday and you think, damn, that's really nice. And I, I've got one that I've had for a couple of years and it just ages better, like a good red. And um, yeah, I'd recommend anything Silka to anybody, but, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where you, you look at what you need and what you don't need and what's useful and what's not. And it doesn't really matter, especially at the moment. We all need a little bit of something to put a smile on your face. Stuart, what do you reckon? Do you know what? I think the thing that I'm thinking of, it might not be on there yet. 
Ian cleverly had his first session on Zwift the other day, right? And he has got a home training thing, which looks absolutely crazy. What yeah. is it? So Persona it's a, No, not Persona. It's another Italian company called Magnetic Days. Not hugely known here, um, or not yet anyway, but we're working with them to bring the trainers to the UK because they're freaking awesome. They're just... They, they look like a bit of fine art, but they're, they're actually incredibly technical as well. So they're basically just smart trainer, but with a, a bit more of a kind of vogue fashion-esque spin on the design. They're really nice. So yeah, they're not on there yet, but they will be very short. You're absolutely right. It, does, it looks like a bit of furniture, like That's nice furniture, not furniture from um, like, you know, MFI. But anyway, it's really, really fancy. It would almost, if I had one of those, might make me ride my bike indoors. Almost. How about yeah. you? What would be your pick? I think. Yeah, I think I would uh, probably go for um, some of the Silka kit as well. I mean, they do make lovely pumps, and they do make lovely tools. I also really actually like the um, some of the uh, new Rilur kit, and I'm not just saying that. Uh, the green sweatshirts are really unusual. Really like those. No, I, I really dillied and dallied with the colours on those, and in the end, I thought actually not many people are doing those kind of shades, and I thought. Why not? I like them. I'm sure other people will. And yeah, I've not been wrong. I'll send you one in. Thank you, Miles. Thank you, Stuart. That's it from this podcast. If you're looking for more content to occupy your time, do check out the Ruler website for a constant stream of new quality material, including Ned Bolting's charity cycling quizzes, where big cycling names answer questions to raise money for a cause they care about. And a reminder, if you care about quality cycling journalism, please consider a subscription to Ruler. Talk soon.